Go back for context. Go back to 2 Corinthians 4 for a second. And when you, there will be a day, God willing, when God will grant us a building, we will grant better lighting. Just want to let you know that ahead of time. And I know right now, it's like we should be handing out iPads to people so we can backlight it and see what in the world we're reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. We're just getting a context. But here, we, let's not even read without praying. Lord, open our hearts to hear your voice. To hear you and know you better and to love you more. To be so absolutely yours. So Lord, this is your night. Do glorious work in it, I pray. Jesus, in your name, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Oh God, that we would just know you. Jesus, tonight, interface with us. Thank you we don't have to go behind a wall or kiss a picture of someone who died many years ago that we'll never meet, maybe in heaven. Thank you that we don't have to sit in a box, kneel on rice, crawl up steps. Thank you that you came down because we couldn't go up. Thank you, Lord, that you have asked us to pray vain repetitions, make pilgrimages to places, but to be with you. Thank you. You created us to be with you and you made it simple. Don't let us complicate what you've made simple, but let us get to the depth and the breadth of what it is you want to say. Have your way now. We pray. We commit this time to you. Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please don't ever just believe what I say. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. We always want the word of God to be that for which you test and hold all things. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is what he had gone through before this, which didn't remotely look like light affliction to any of us, which is but for a moment, is far is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I don't know about you, by the way, and this is sort of working our way, and we're going to pick up two more texts on to chapter 6. When I, I have a real high tolerance for pain. Now, some of you I know say, ouch, just in case. I happen to know some of you that do that. But uh, I'm kind of one of those people that, to be honest, I mean, you can, sometimes you hit something and it's going to hurt for a moment. I don't even check on it for about 10 minutes. And if it still hurts, I might be a little concerned. If I wake up and it's still hurting, maybe it, I should probably do something about it. You know, there's that lasting thing. And, and the reason I say that is it's like, you know, I've, I've broken a handful of bones in my body uh, several times in my life, to be honest. And I mean, I've, I've been in a fight once where I was on ice. This is nothing I'm proud of, where I had lost my footing and I'd, my feet flipped up and I landed on the corner of my shoulder blade popped out my collarbone about three inches out of the rest of my shoulder. And for a couple of days, I just kind of was like, well, that's a little sore. That's, you know. And then um, I woke up one day and then my entire arm was numb and I couldn't feel a thing. And that was when I was like, I probably, probably should have that looked at. Here's, here's the point in it, is that I, I, I get, I mean, the younger I am, the more this is true. Now it's like things hurt longer. But the... Uh, you know, if, if it's a temporary thing, I, I, I tend to think it's not fully broken. You know, if it seems to last for a long period of time, I usually have to modify life to, to accommodate for it. And, but if it's something that's temporary, then I'm like, well, let's just keep going. And the only reason I say that is I, I see Paul looking at things the same way. I, I think I learned that from playing sports because, you know, it, the coach would look and he'd smack it. And if it's still, you know, if it didn't break off or... Whatever, you know, he would say, well, get back in, you know, and, and to be honest, I really appreciated that. It, it was never like one of those, uh, I think that I have a little something or I might have a, a rash from that guy br brushing up against me or whatever. Um, he's like, you know, if, if both of your legs are still functioning, then you should use them. And, I, I, and, and I, the problem is there's just no coaches left in the Christian world. And we forget that, you know, this is a contact sport and we forget that, uh, you know, I, I, I just watched a... And not like I watch a lot of movies, but I was watching a football movie, American football, by the way, um, which I recognize it uses our feet a whole lot less. We should really call that soccer because we suck people more and 
call your thing football because it really is with your feet. But uh, in this particular one, there was a guy that really wasn't doing his job. And, and I just remember the coach saying, you can tackle someone if you like. It's, um, it's a contact sport. It's actually even encouraged. And, 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 and it's like if those who are familiar with the sport kind of know that's kind of you, you should be hitting somebody. You should come up bloody somewhere in the middle of this. It's sort of like a rugby game. And if you come out and nothing is stained or there's no grass stains on you and there's nothing swollen, you probably actually were only sitting on the bench. And, and, and what's ironic about that is we could look at Christianity and we tend to think if we could come out with the least amount of scars, bruises, or bumps, well, then we must be a successful Christian. And I just say poo on that. As your coach, I mean, you can go to places where that's going to be the case and mommy's going to be there with a little something and a pillow for you to lay down. Um, but I, can I just say let's, let's get out there and let's enjoy it. I mean, could you imagine if when somebody actually turned and started dissing us because we love Jesus, we actually did what Luke told us, which is to shout for joy and leap for joy? Because now, all of a sudden, we're in the company of people like prophets. I mean, we're in the company of God's hall of faith, people who've made scripture. Now, I'm not telling you go out there, run into a group of angry drunks and just start pushing them and telling them about Look at Jesus never told us to be a giant jerk for Jesus. But he told us, don't worry, if you're going to be bold, people are going to hate you anyways. Get over it and let's do this. But let's face it, if we were, a, if we were any form of sports team, we would expect the opponents only to like us if we stunk. Let's be honest. If our opposition is the world and the world that's under the sway of the wicked one and the wicked one who wants everyone to go to hell and he finds us no threat, then I think we should actually take a better look at the playbook and figure out how we better go into training and make this different. And Paul just says, look it, in the end of it all, there's an outward man and an inward man. The outward man isn't built to last. The good news is I'm not taking that guy with me. That thing, that tent, that shell... That thing gets buried and becomes worm food. And I'm okay with that. Because that's the part that is, that is falling apart. The good news is the inside guy, man, he is thriving. I'm younger than I've ever been on the inside. Which now, if my, if my outward shell could actually catch up with that, we'd all be, well, who knows, but I think I'd be doing better. But he tells us there is an outward man and an inward man. And he tells us you can't see the inward man, but you can see the outward. And he says the outward, anything that's outward is temporary. Even when we look at ourselves, and I kind of get the idea that when we see Lucas in heaven, he's not going to look like that. He won't have the beard and mustache. And Not that I'm saying he'd be like a little Renaissance naked baby playing a harp, but I, the outward man's just not going to be the same. Daniel may not have that big, beautiful fro. You know, Marcia may not have those amazing, you know, those amazing cornrows or whatever the case is. You know, it just, it may not be the case. Bruno will have a full head of hair. He may actually have Daniel's afro, which would be fun for all of us. Yeah, see, I think he would volunteer for that. But the outward part of it, and what Paul is trying to do for a church, and please, 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 please hear me. The Corinthian church is a carnal church because it stopped thinking about eternity. It just got stuck underneath the world that looks like everything is now. It's the carpe diem mindset, which is, by the way, even made its way into the church. She's the day. We should seize the moment for Christ, but always tethered to eternity. That's why we do it. He goes, look, there's an outside guy and an inside guy. The outside guy, that's the part you keep looking at. And the outside guy, can I just say, he's not going to be this good looking forever. And the older I get, the better looking I was. But, uh, you know, because you just think, well, maybe he really could have been that many years ago. I mean, I've learned that a lot of years you could do just about anything. That's the way they play the whole evolution trip. Anyways, but it is, and then he tells us the things you see, they're, they're temporary, but the things that you can't see, they're, they're eternal. And he goes, look, it, you need to get back to the mindset of eternity. Because if you don't get back to the mindset of eternity, man, you just, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be the jolly, happy, good luck club where you're going to be doing nice things at best and competing with people with lots of money that the government gives to do the same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, for now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. I'm not going to look at someone and decide whether they're Greek or black or white, tall or short, fat or thin, young or old, and then try to figure out somehow how that category best applies to me. The church will still do that. In mass, because we'll be taking some form of demographic survey to figure out this is the way we reach young people. This is the way we reach old people. 
this is the way we reach smart people. But then we read scripture and it seems like that all falls in the toilet, doesn't it? Like this is how we reach smart people or the educated, the religious. Send a Peter to them. What? This is how we reach the philosophical. This is how we reach the unreligious or the pagan. Send a real ex-radical religious guy. And what God's constantly doing is he's sort of like sending in the little guy to take on the big guy. And that's like how it looks for him. He's the craziest coach in the world, but he's undefeated. He's like, let's send in a guy that's not so bright to talk to somebody who's brilliant. And listen, if your company's all brilliant people, I'm not telling you you're dumb. But we need to stop trying to figure out God, trying to present to him our game plan. And just being available. I mean, think about if you've ever coached, and I've coached several sports, I can just say that, you know, when the guy's actually got it figured out what he's going to do, he's more dangerous than the guy you send in who doesn't know anything but what you tell him. Because that guy tends to think more like the team because he's taking cues from his coach. And we're like, God, look at I know you're busy running the universe, and there's some pretty rough things going on right now. I'll agree with you on that. This whole ISIS thing has freaked me out too, okay? You know, I don't know about this whole Ebola thing. You know, I know you've got a lot on your plate, so look at I know my problems are small in comparison, so I've already figured it out for you, and here it is, and here's my presentation. Now bless it, plug it in, and let's get this thing happening. And you say, well, God, I tell you what, I've done you the favor. I've, I've given you options A, B, C. And God says, I choose D. And you say, I didn't give you a D. And God says, I know. Has he ever done that for you too? So he was like, from this point on, we're going to stop looking at this from the outside, like the rest of the world. You could come in with a beautiful CV of how you have all of this training and all this education, all this experience. And from a worldly perspective, you're probably a shoo-in. But I want to warn you, the ministry here is the way that God's shown it is that everything gets raised up. Because we want to know character. That's what comes from the inside. You could take somebody with fantastic qualifications but no character and watch them destroy a fellowship. I'm not interested in that. I would rather see people with the right heart doing God's work. Because God always seems to clean up those messes on his own. Chapter 5, verse 20. Oh, by the way, go back for a moment. Verse 17, it says, after all of that. Therefore, if anyone is in, Christ, is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Did you see that? You guys see that in Scripture, right? You see that? Did you notice it doesn't say if anyone became new in Christ, they became a new creation? Let me ask you. Are you in Christ right now? Are you? Then guess what? You're a new creation right now. Are you in Christ right now? Guess what? You're a new creation again. Are you a new creation right now? Yep, I just flipped it on you, right? Yep. Yes, exactly. Now, I, when I first got saved, I kind of thought like, okay, good, God wiped everything clean, and then I started mucking things up again, but at least we got something clean out of it. But it's like, okay, every moment that I'm in Christ, He continues to wash me clean. I love it. There's no past there. I love being a new creation. How about you? I'm just a big baby. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, Now we then, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Who, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, look, at, this is the ministry we have now. The ministry we have now is a ministry of reconciliation. You know what that is, right? That's two people who were at enmity with each other. They were arguing. They were nasty with each other. They used to spread rumors. They were gossiping. They hated each other. You said their name, and they instantly started furrowing their brows and going, you know, want to make their teeth hurt, talk the other person's name. They just grit their teeth. And then all of a sudden, God reconciles them. They get reconciled. They're no longer angry with each other. They no longer hate each other. No longer enemies or opponents. He goes, we've been given that ministry. Here's the great thing. God's not gritting his teeth at mankind. But mankind is waving their fist at God. And we get to actually say, God, by the way, will take you if you're willing to drop your fist and open your hands. Then we get to chapter 6. The whole focus has been on the outward, by the way, and the inward. Which one of those two is temporary, the outward or the inward? The outward. 
Which one is temporary, the visible or the invisible? The visible. The outward, the visible, temporary. The inward, invisible, permanent. You with me so far? That's what he's going to nail us now. Listen, now I don't know about you. Listen, I'm kind of a checklist guy because I, you know, I'm such a checklist guy that I'll actually writ, wrote things, right? <laughs> I'll actually write things down that I've just done just to put another thing on the list I've accomplished. Anyone else do that but me? And I'm like, wow, look at all I just did. <laughs> Woo! Now, look, at, there are times, if we're going to be honest, there are times where it's like, look, at love, you shouldn't have a checklist, right? No, no, actually should. I mean, it's not like I have a checklist that says kiss your wife at night, read with your children. I mean, there are things that are such habit, that's just the way it's, they're going to be. But let's be honest, there are still things that's like, if they're out of the ordinary or those days where it's like, you know what? And, and this is something I actually do with my wife when we get those brief moments every once in a while where everything is somehow at bay and we're able to sit down without any fires for the few minutes where I've, somehow my phone has lost its battery, right? That's usually how that works. And however, and it's like, you know, hey, can I, let me ask you a few things. How are we in this area? How are we in this area? Because I don't want to be blindsided. It's funny because my, my wife's actually probably more the guy in this sense. She's like, what? I don't know what you're talking about, you know? I'm like, oh, well, I didn't forget what I said because I don't want to create any problems, <laughs> you, know? Well, you know? I just want to make sure we're cool. And, and, and here's the point of it is that in this chapter, there's going to be a list of 30, 30, 30 things, by the way. And it's beautiful time to take inventory. I don't want to make this belaboring. What I'd love for this to be, no matter how old or young you are, is there's just going to be these things where really we just want to kind of ask ourselves, and, and the, the, the issue in the end of it all is, is which of these areas does God need to change the most than me? But I want to, don't want to just do that. Because then you know what we do? We try to figure out how that we're such miserable, rotten worms and how God could barely love us. Hey, how about the areas where you're kind of doing okay in? Let's face it. If you're doing okay in an area, the Lord's at work in that area. For that, we should praise him. Does that make sense? Uh, In this list, by the way, there will be 10 things that are in. There will be 11 things that are by, or at least, and then 7 things that are as and then yet. And we'll see them here in this order. Um, in all of this, by the way, it starts with this. Remember how he said, our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. Christ was pleading through us. And then it says in Second Corinthians 6, we then as workers, together with him, this ministry of reconciliation, we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What would it mean to receive the grace of God? In vain. The word vain, of course, means worthless. Is receiving the grace of God in vain just basically not changing your lifestyle? Is it, you know, is it still living the way you were? Well, notice what he says in verse 2. For, which means because, he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is this accepted time. Now, behold, is the day of salvation. What he tells us is one of the ways to receive the grace of God in vain is just to not make it about now. And that's a really easy trap within Christianity, isn't it? The idea of it is Jesus saves me, he, you know, I'm not going to hell, but that's all for later. So I accepted Jesus, can't wait to go to heaven, but until then, I'm going to live like hell. And that's what it looks like. And what we try to do, and what, what's strange is we teach the world that Jesus is for saving, but the world is for fun until then. That's receiving the grace of God in vain. And the idea of it's simple. Oh yeah, I'll, I'm gladly, gladly have you not let me go to hell, but, but now, well, how does that apply to my now? But if Jesus doesn't apply to your now, well, then what in the world are we doing here? Just making sure that God doesn't change his mind? God has a specific time, and the specific time is now. As he told us, by the way, that today if you hear his, his voice, don't harden your heart. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do so. Don't waste time and wait. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good but doesn't do it, it's sin to him. You know what? Can I just say for some of us, the biggest problem we have is procrastination. And if you want to know more about that, I'll tell you tomorrow. 
And you go, you know what? I know that the Lord has a great call on my life. I know he's going to do amazing things. But, you know, I'm sure he'll wait. He's been waiting this long for me to finally come to him. I'm sure he doesn't mind waiting. Yeah, really? So he stood at the altar. Daniel meets the perfect woman. Holka. East German swim team. She can bench press a Volkswagen. Everything that Daniel's looking for in a girl. He has the hardest drumsticks because she sends them right through his drums. She's got a deeper voice than him. But he loves her anyways. And he stands at the altar. He has worked really hard. He's been working out juice in a little bit just to try to make sure he can keep up with her. And Finally, he gets to the altar and she's standing there, Holka, in her beautiful white dress. Daniel says, I do. She says, I do. And then Daniel says, let's go on our honeymoon. She goes, nah, let's go in a couple years. I've got some things to do. I was just thinking about hanging out with my friends. Daniel's like, uh, I'm a little afraid to get into a fight about this, but I... But I'm a little concerned here. I thought you loved me. I thought you were coming to this altar to be with me. She's like, well, yeah, but like when we're old, I just want to have a burial plot next to yours. I thought that would be cool. Where are you going to be buried? You're like, you're asking me that now? Yeah, well, you know, like maybe when we're like really old and wrinkly, you know, I just, you know, it'd be nice to have somebody to sit next to, talk about the past, but then you're like, but we won't have any of it together. But we can do that with God. Oh, I can't wait for that day when I cash in all of this life and just sit with you on our rocking chairs in heaven and talk about the days of yore. God's like, but I want to actually create the days of yore with you now. So we can sit and look back and laugh at those moments before I wipe you clean. Verse 3 says, We give no offense to anything, that our ministry may not be blamed. And that's what the rest of this thing is about. Paul's like, let me tell you how I seize the moment for the sake of eternity. He goes, I recognize that, I don't know how much breath I have left, but I'm going to use it. So he says, I give no offense. The word there is the word plascape. It means to trip you up. And then my favorite word in this, that our ministry may not be blamed. Mo maomai. means to discredit. He goes, you know, because I know that time is valuable. I don't want to do anything that's going to trip you or discredit this ministry. Let's face it, this is something I learned a long time ago. Let's say Bruno's a construction worker, gets married, and as he marries this gal, and he's out there doing his job, and he works putting buildings together, and the guys are talking down the street at the local pub. Did you hear about Bruno? Ten years of marriage, and he runs off with somebody else. And one of those guys would be like, shut up. It's not the way it works. It's usually the way that rolls out. But if Bruno were in the ministry, and the guy says, Do you hear about Pastor Bruno left his wife for a younger thing? They go, Ah, I don't believe it. It's like the first place they go. Another man goes down. A man of God. See how men of God are. They're just like the rest of people. Yeah, we're no better. We're just better off. So the idea is, is that you will always, and you know this, how many things does it take to discredit something? One, that's the problem. I mean, a guy could be great for 50 years and then does one stupid thing, that's what they'll remember. Might I say Noah? Read the whole story and you go, I don't know about this. Now listen, listen. Here he's going to give a list, and here's the point. Beloved, please hear me. God has a ministry for every one of us. 
And what if we lived the kind of life that was honestly undiscreditable? Can I just use it that way? That people are going to try to nail it. They're going to try. I mean, we always talk about being above paparazzi, that if somebody were secretly following around, I'm not trying to make you paranoid. But if they were, that there's, they couldn't even try to find an angle on a shot, if that makes sense. If the worst thing they're going to get is look at how he hugged that person. I'm like, yeah, I hug everyone. I mean, don't, you know, hopefully that doesn't ruin things for us when I hug you. But the point is, it's like, look at, I hug homeless people that I don't even know. And then it's like, but I shower in between that often and you guys. So don't, you know, but I mean, the point is, it's like, I mean, if that's what, and it's, here's the thing, if, if they're going to try to throw something at you and the best they could come up with is like something so stretched that they pull a sinew trying to do it or they have to make it up, you're doing okay. And he tells us that we are to live such a life that those who want to say something evil about you have nothing evil to say and will be ashamed. Look, I'm good with that. So what if we took this list and we ask, Lord, for the ministry you have for me, maybe the ministry is that you are going to be an amazing shoemaker or designer. Or you're going to sell drumsticks better than anyone else. Or you're just going to speak French in a way that's really cool and people are going to listen. Or you're going to make cakes and people are going to watch you while you sell them on a table in Camden Market. Or whether you're going to be a, a solicitor or an architect or you're going to watch someone else's baby. No matter what it is, it's still a ministry the moment you attach it to eternity and say, Lord, how do you want to bring yourself into this thing? You think I have it easy? I mean, the goofy part about it is, is that I have to be ready at any moment because people say, so what do you do for a living? I mean, that's going to, you know, it's like, well, okay, it's on. But in the end of it all, God calls us all to, to represent. So listen, and I will go through these relatively quickly, but again, remember the point is to ask, Lord, which of these would I say, hey, you know what, I think we're doing all right with this one. And which of these do I go, mm, Lord, would you change this tonight? Because I really want a bulletproof ministry. Now notice it says this in verse 4 as we start kicking it in. But in all things we commend ourselves, and the word commend means to stand together, by the way, as ministers of God. And I do love the word for minister because there's a handful of words like diakonos and so forth that are uh, like doulos, that are like servants or slaves. And then there's the word diakonos, so it means to run an errand. So where we get deacon from it. And he says this, look, can I just start with this? This is how I see myself as God's errand runner. Now, that is very different from next time think twice before you mess with a man of God. Imagine if the guy, you know, that like sort of shows up from like royal mail because he couldn't get it through the slot, though he's tried for a couple of minutes. So the whole thing's kind of mangled now. But now they have to knock on the door and pretend like it came that way. And, you know, and then, then you answer. And they're like, oh, you know, well, here's your, your package. And you're like, thank you. And they're like, don't mess with me. I'm a messenger. I'm an errand runner. And you're like, well, first of all, you're obviously not from Jersey. But second of all, I, I look at this and I think, you know what? You're a servant. And I'm just glad you're doing your job well. And that's the way Paul is viewing himself as we get into this. And can I say, that's where it starts. We have no wick to burn. We have nothing to prove about ourselves. We want to be faithful because it's about making him know, not us. So let's look at We commend ourselves as God's errand runners. In, and here's now our ten ins. In much patience. And as I look at the other nine in things, it all hinges on this one. The word for patience is a simple one, upamene. Upa means under, mene, mene means to stand. And the idea was to remain under something. How long can I remain under this? Can I actually remain under this? You know that part where it's like, you know that point where you're like, and you watch, you know, the people that are like, control, they're like, oh, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm out of this, I'm so out of this. I'm so over this. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. Can I keep myself underneath it because that's where God wants me. So you ready for the other nine? I'm not really sure. Here's the first of them in tribulation. It means pressure. Can I 
stay under Christ when I'm under pressure? How am I doing with that today? Do I actually entitle myself to do something stupid and walk out of God's jurisdiction because I'm under pressure? It's a deadline. People are expecting things of me. The phone's ringing. Things are burning on the hubs. And the children are calling for me right now. And my husband or wife says, I can't find my so-and-so. Do you say, that's it. I'm done. I'm done being a good Christian. I can't take this pressure. Second word is needs or constraints. And I ask, can I choose to remain under Christ's leadership? when I don't really think I have everything I need at the moment. I reach in my pocket. I don't even have enough for a tea. And I think, dang it. You ever have a moment where you realize you're going to have to walk home? I mean, now we have contactless now, right? So maybe you're safe. It's good to work that out before, for before winter. We can all agree on that. Do you remember those moments before contact? Do you remember those moments before? You know, think about it. Soon we'll be able to say that. And people are like, tell us another story, Grandpa. Before we ever put the chip on our head and went beep like that or whatever. Now, you know, when we actually had to use this stuff called money. Huh! And you're like, no, I don't have it. Looks like I'm walking home. Do you think we're fine then? Enough with the good Christian routine. You remain under it there. You can see how that will blow it. In other words, this is how not to blow your witness, right? Third is distresses. And the word, the word literally, by the way, for what it's worth, it's in the quote, it means to be the narrowness of room. So in other words, when I've run out of options, I've tried this and I've tried that and I've tried this and none of them seem to work and I think that's it, I'm done. You watch that with couples and friends. Tried this and this didn't work. I tried this and now I'm like, forget it. I'm I'm tired of even trying to trying to try. In stripes, when you feel beaten up. Imprisonments, when you feel locked up. Tumults, when nothing seems so sure. Because the word literally, for what it's worth, akatastasia, means instability. When nothing seems sure. Do you ever have those moments? Where you know at this moment, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what I don't know to figure out what I have to figure out so that I can figure it out. It's these kind of things that drive people to to drink, to internet pornography. Drives these to people to go clubbing and they think, I'm okay. You ever have a moment, and I'm going to get horribly transparent, where you just feel like, you know what, I just feel like doing something stupid and spiting myself. I know this is going to hurt me. I just want to do it. You ever have moments like that, or am I just the only weirdo in here that thinks that way? Now, obviously, I know where that's coming from, but for the moment, you don't stop and think, oh, that's probably Satan. At the moment, you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're like, okay, now that I've emotionally barfed all over myself, now it's time to go, all right, let's get this right. In labors, when I've worked so hard, in sleeplessness, oh, that's a great one, right? Sorry, I was a big fat jerk. I was tired. Any of you ever say that? That's true to some degree, but the question is, is it really a good excuse for sinning? Sorry, I was so tired, so I brought an automatic weapon and shot a bunch of people at the Sheffield Mall. What? Well, it seems like you got some energy somewhere. Hey, listen, listen. We've got one more and we'll be done with our ends and then we'll review them for a second just to see which, where you're at. And me too, by the way. But you know what? You know, you, you, you hear it. You could be on the second story or second floor or whatever, you know, whatever we want to call that, of a bus. Because we can't just say it's the first floor, however. You're up the steps. And you hear the kid, Aah! it's like Rosemary's baby has just entered the bus. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. What are you thinking? What is she doing? Like, she's trying to pull his teeth or what? Right? And you go down there and she's trying to put a shoe on him. Right? And if you're, in a, if you're a parent, you tend to think, and you don't even have to be that. You probably think, that poor child is so tired. 
That child needs to get some sleep. Because when a child gets really tired, every little thing becomes Goliath. Have you learned that? Not my son! Not my son! Ah! Sock! It's a sock, Junior. Put on your sock, man. And you recognize that, and you're like, well, that boy's just tired. When we grow up, or should I say, when we grow older, we're still like that. We've just learned how to do it in different ways. And I was like, mm, I need my coffee. Hey, don't even talk to me right now. It's the same thing. It's like, yeah, you know what? Little things have become really big things all of a sudden again. Don't even tell me about my socks. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. I see how that works. And here's the idea. Is, listen, if you don't give yourself the way out, you won't take it. Here's my way out. I'm tired. So I decided I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to slap you aside the head because I'm tired. You know what that tells Bruno? Don't ever be around PT when he's tired because the next time he's going to slap me upside the head when he's tired. That's what's going to happen. And then it says, look at the last one. If you think, oh, I never use any of these as excuses. How about fastings? When I'm hungry. You know, let's be honest. Some of you, it's like us. I'm there too. Where you just like, man, that person's getting all kinds of cranky. We need to shove a you know, Mars bar in that person's mouth and everything's going to be a little bit nicer. You know it. Okay? Well, then carry one with you. You're like, but it might melt. Well, then it'll be easier to get down your throat. The point is, are any of these legitimate reasons to sin? So let me read them the way that I have them here and ask, what needs to change tonight? And where are you doing okay? When I'm under pressure? When I feel constrained by my resources, like I don't have enough? When I've run out of options? When I feel beat up? When I feel locked in? When nothing seems sure? When I've worked so hard, when I'm just worn out, when I'm hungry, I look at this and my first thought is, dang it, there's a lot of these that need to change. What if we said, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to use any of these as excuses anymore to sin. Because the moment you start doing that, it's amazing where you can go. Well, fine, I'll get on the internet chat site and talk stupid things. Fine, I'll go watch that movie that I would have never watched before because it insults my intellect, my walk with Christ, and my Savior. Oh, but now I can watch it because after all, who cares now? I'll pop a whole bunch of new songs on my playlist that I would have never listened to before. Because it's been a rough day. I think I could smack down a handful of Jaeger bombs. It's okay. The Lord's going to understand. The Lord understands that you're making provisions for the flesh is what's happening here. Well, my spouse said, blah, blah, blah. Then you should be praying for them if they start acting like that. Well, you get it. But not everything is just that way. Now we have things about the challenges of what we should be. So we go from the 10 in to the 11 things that we do it by. Does that make sense? Hey, look at, let's be honest. You may not be able to change the things around you, but you can certainly change the way you respond to them. You may still have that crazy neighbor. You may still have that dog that poops in your yard. You may still have that person when you show up at work is going to say the one thing that you're like, I couldn't have written anything more offensive than what that person just said. And I wouldn't expect that if I just said in Jesus' name that everything's going to turn into like the lollipop guild in front of me and I'm walking on the yellow brick road. And everyone's like throwing candy at me or something. But I can't expect me to respond to it like Jesus would because Jesus didn't wave his hand and everyone's turned magically nice. Jesus waved his hand, stretched him out, and they nailed him to a cross. That tells me something. And I'm supposed to represent him? Ouch. Well, here's our 11 buys. 
Are you ready for this? Are we all still licking our wounds from the first ten? First one, by purity. Agnotis. Cleanness. Have you ever had anyone try to say a joke and stop in the middle because they realized it was you? I love those moments. Oh, let me tell you this. Oh, oh, never mind. You shouldn't hear it. Now, sometimes I'll say that because I'm past or something, but I've learned lately that doesn't stop anyone. Just the same way that 10 years ago wearing a ring means all kinds of things. Today it doesn't mean anything. So for some people, that's like, oh, that's the red flashing before the bull. But when you live the kind of life, and you know what that means? That in a culture where we don't want people to feel awkward, where we don't want to make people, we actually have to. Because we actually have to say something like, that's not funny. And they're like, well, you kind of laughed. I'm like, that's by nature. But now I'm going to be right with this. Like, I, don't, I don't even want to hear that. Don't even show me that. I saw this amazing thing. You should see it on, you know, on YouTube and watch chicks. No, no, no. I, I really don't want to see that. Come on, you're a guy. Every guy wants to see that. No, 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 actually, no. If that were my wife, I would be punching you in the face. If someone else's daughter, if that was my daughter, I'd be pretty upset. Well, if you're just going to say it like that, yeah, I'm going to say it like that. I'm a father and I'm a husband. It's not your wife. It's not your child. But it's someone else's. Imagine if we treated each other with that kind of dignity. To be clean, man, you know what that means? Clean, by the way, does not mean we don't make contact. It means we know where to go once we get dirty. Does that make sense? And we're going to brush up against all kinds of things. But we know where the living water is found to wash ourselves. Imagine if that's what we are known by, known by, as we have here. Second, by knowledge. Now, you'd say by knowledge. Remember, there are two different words for to know. One by being simply taught like this, and another by knowing by experience to walk with someone. It's the second. In the other words, let's not be experts on Jesus by reading his stats. Let's walk with him so we could, say, so we could actually talk about things from experience. It's amazing how many theologians. I, I'm, I've, I've read theologians that I don't know if I've ever really met them. But I can give you all of Michael Jordan's stats. I've never, I don't think I've ever met him. I think, you know, he's 6'6". Six, six. I think I'd know it if he came by. There are a lot of people out there that are really, really famous, and you can know everything about them, but, but they could actually turn and say, who? I don't want that of Jesus. How about you? I mean, if someone, you know, Simon Cowell looked and said, I never knew him, that might be actually a good thing. But Jesus to say, I never knew him, that's another story altogether. You say, but I knew all your stats. I've seen your performances. I have them on video. I've got all the Jesus movies, the one where you warble and point with your shaky finger and the one where you look like kind of a nice guy and you're giggling with people. I've watched them all. I've watched the one where you're like claymation and the one where you speak in that language I don't even get. I have them all. I've got all your movies. I mean, you, you, you know, and Jesus like, but none of those are me. Have you met me? Because if we really want to have a bulletproof ministry... You've got to walk with Jesus because everything comes out of the overflow. I want to do it by Jesus, by real knowledge, not just knowing about him. The third, and I like this one, by long, not that I don't like the others, I like them all, by long suffering. In other words, macrothumia. Macro means big or long. Thumia, by the way, means rage or passion. Can I say it this way? Having a long fuse. You know, some of you saw that part in the Avengers where the Iron Man guy was poking Bruce Banner, waiting for him to turn green and explode. And he's like, I don't get it. How come you're not, you know, it's like, I, it's like and within every one of us, somewhere is a raging green monster of death. Now, you know, hey, just be warmed and filled. But be honest. Now, now for some, that will actually be physical. For some, it'll just be what you say. But it's just as violent as far as it still hurts people. And I've heard some things come out of people's mouth that I've gone, oh my goodness, I, I think that, I don't even know if Satan would say that. That was just wicked. And I don't use that term positively. But to have a long wick, macrothemia, is fundamental. 
Because the moment you lose your temper, somebody looks and says, oh, so that's what he's like. And you know the greatest thing is? I know people who try to use Scripture to support it. They'll say, don't you remember when Jesus walked into the temple and he saw them all selling things and he turned green and his shirt roped up and he went, and then he just started beating people and then he made a whip out of three cushions and helicopter death whip. And everyone's like, and then his disciples, if you ever watch it in the movies, right? then all of his disciples are like, are like bouncers, right? Jesus is like out of control. Get him out of here. And his disciples are like, just not letting anyone get him. I'm like, what the heck is that? I'm like, we should read all of the Bible. Because in all of the Bible, what it tells us, by the way, Mark, is that Jesus actually went there on a Sunday, Palm Sunday, walked in because it was late. He saw everything. And then he went back to Bethany with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. The next morning, he goes in and clears out the temple. This was not Jesus kind of going, dun, 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 oh, dun, oh, and then he just freaks out. This is Jesus looking and going, man, this place is a mess. And then he goes back and goes, Dad, what do you want me to do? That's why his disciples didn't have to rescue him. It was a cold, calculated event that God the Father told him what to do. He wasn't freaking out and busting into rage. You know, one of the ways that I know that is, the moment that that happens and he clears the place out, you know what it says next? Then the blind and the lame were brought to him and came, and came to him. So imagine if a guy freaks out and he turns green, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, now that's done. Let's all go there to get healed by him. Really? If that's what he was doing? Let's face it, the moment somebody kind of flips out like that, we all go, oh, look at the time. I think I have to get to the other part of the planet. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, call me in a week. You should be better by then. So look, let's not. it tells us that part of the works of the flesh are outbursts of wrath. It is not acceptable in the body of Christ. You say, well, that person pushed me. Well, then get away from them. You say, well, that's, but that's my spouse. Well, then tell them, look, at, at this point, when it gets to this point, I need to go for a walk. It's fundamental. You've got to keep the pace slow, keep things nice and quiet, and stop waiting to see who turns green first. And you watch some couples, they're like, they're pushing their button, he pushes her button, she pushes his button. It's like, push, 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 push. Who turns green first? Push, push. And they're all going, and I'm like, whoa, 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 get away from each other's buttons. De-button yourselves. Because the next one will be the other side of it. Oh, that God would make us. Is that you? Maybe that's not you. If it's not you, then say, praise God. He's not. He's given you a long wick. Some of you, it's like itchy trigger finger. Next one is kindness. Kindness, by the way, literally for what it's worth, it means to be useful, to be available, to be a blessing to someone else. That's what the word means. That's what I want my ministry to look like. That guy's just available to bless people. He just wants to bless people. I can't even tell you how much of my day is filled with just God make me useful. Make me, just make me a blessing to someone. Next is by the Holy Spirit, which tells us, by the way, that that's God's leading, not mine. By sincere love, which tells me, by the way, remember that love is a complete selflessness. It's sincere, which means undissembled. It's genuine. So this is genuine selflessness. Not the kind of thing where I'm trying to do something, hoping you'll pay me back some way. By the word of truth, which means I'm using God's word to lead me and give me clarity. By the power of God, which tells me that I'm doing the Zechariah 4.6, not by my own power or might, but by God's spirit to do things, to get it done. I like this by the armor of righteousness, which, by the way, for what's worth a plan, the chastening, which means, in essence, God's tools, to use God's tools and not my own, at every turn, right hand and left, but for righteousness, so that people would be made right with God. That's my purpose here, is not to win an argument, not to show that I'm better, but that people would be made right with God. And everything around me then should be a tool, hear me, a tool to bring people to a right place with God. The money I have, the tools I have, in my case, talent, or in your case, talent, or my abilities, or your abilities, or whatever it be, it's a tool for God to use to bring people to Him. That's the point. By honor and dishonor, glory and infamy. By evil report and good report, infamy or praise. In all of these buys, then. And here's our second of our, of our three categories. 
I want to read the list again and ask, what of these areas is God already shining in for you? And what of these areas does God need to change? By being clean. By walking with Jesus and knowing him. By keeping a long fuse. By being available to be useful to others. Have you ever felt like you're late when you don't even have a place to be? Like, I've got to catch that bus. Why? Because if I don't, there'll be another one later I'll have to wait for. Yeah. And you see someone that you could talk to, but you're like, you know what? I can't do that. I'm going to catch that bus. I want to be available. Let God lead me, not my leading. To be genuinely selfless. To let God's word provide the rules, not mine. To let God's power be what's exuded, not mine. And then whatever I have is a tool for God to make, to use, to make men right. On, on the left or the right. And that left and right might be glory or dishonor. That left or right might be infamy or praise. But in the left or the right, everywhere, I want people to get right with God. That's the point. Which takes us to our last batch here. And we close this out for the night. Seven things that are as and then yet. Which means, and this is the beautiful part. This is how it closes up. The first, by the way, listen, the first ten things are what was on the outside. Those things that would look so bad. Under pressure, constrained by resources, running out of options, beaten up, locked in, nothing seeming sure, working so hard, exhausted, worn out, hungry. All those things you can see on the outside. The inside were the other eleven now. The things of being clean, knowing Jesus, keeping a long fuse, being available to be useful, letting God lead, being genuinely selfless, letting God's word clarify, letting God's power be manifest, everything for God's tools to make men right with them, whether that be by glory or infamy, infamy or praise, all that's the inside. So get this, the first part was the outside, second part was the inside, and then the third part, this is the climax of the symphony. Now it's like, yes, as this really on the inside, yet this is what it looks like on the outside. And then yet like this on the inside, but this is the way it looks on the outside. And that's the way these seven things look. Look at them with me. As deceivers, but yet true. I'm being called a liar, but I'm telling them the truth. As unknown, yet well-known. In the eyes of other people, I'm a nobody, but I'm a celebrity in heaven. As dying, and yet behold, we live. Though from the outside, I look like I'm physically falling apart. But inside, I'm thriving. As chastened, yet not killed. From the outside, the guy looks like he's being punished. But from the inside, I'm not going to die from this. This is going to bless me. From the outside, it's sorrowful, yet on the inside, rejoicing. As looking heavy-hearted, but always having that cheer in my heart and that hope of Christ. As poor and yet making many rich. From the outside, looking like a beggar. But from the inside, a person so rich and overflowing that everyone around me is going to be, made, is going to be blessed and benefited from it. Do you know what a rich person is? Someone that no matter how much they spend, they don't run out. Isn't that what a rich person is? Don't you want to be rich in mercy, rich in grace, rich in kindness, rich in love? That no matter how much you spend, you don't run out? It's having nothing and yet possessing all things. Literally, the term nothing means not even one. As not able to hold even one thing, and yet I have everything I need. That is, and listen to this, the outside it looks like this person's under pressure, this person seems constrained, they don't have a lot of resources, they, they're working so hard and they're trying so hard, and you even have people who love the Lord and say, bro, you need to, you need to mellow out, man, you need to stop, and, and it's like, you know what, I know that's what it looks like from the outside, but let me tell you what it looks like from the inside, man, things look I'm clean, and I'm walking with Christ, and I have this fuse because Christ is not allowing this thing to get lit. Then I'm available to be blessed by others and available by God and letting God lead and seeking to be genuine and selfless. And in that, letting God's word clarify, letting God's power be manifest, and making my life God's tool to make other people right, whether that be in good things or bad things. Whether people talk good about it or bad about it, the bottom line is inside I am thriving. Yeah, the old guy I have to drag around by the knuckles sometimes. But the inside guy is just spot on loving this. Yeah, so let him call you a liar. Tell him the truth. Let him call you a nobody. You're a, you're a household name in the house of God. You know, let it be that if there's one thing that's going to be falling apart, let it be the outside person because the inside person can thrive through it. 
Let the outside world say, oh, look at how you're being punished because you don't have the money and you don't have the well-being and you don't have all the things that these people who are living with this idea of the outside are saying about Paul and saying his ministry is discredited because he doesn't have a lot of money, because he's not very healthy, and he doesn't seem to have a lot of friends. And that's what he's saying here, isn't it? That's the way the world's looking. But let me tell you what it looks like to me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm a celebrity in, in heaven. I am living and thriving, not killed, but rejoicing and making everyone else rich because of what God's placed inside of me. I'm good. It's having nothing. They're like, you know what? From the world's perspective, you don't have anything. You don't own a house. You don't have a car. What do you got? What do you have? I don't, I've gone to your house. I haven't seen a big screen there. I haven't seen a small screen there. What do you have? I have a wife who will be married to me 25 years who's been always faithful. I have children who love me. Whose friends of them say, man, you really love your dad. Well, they may not tell it to me. They'll tell me I'm fat and bald and all those other things, but they'll tell their friends that I'm all right. Probably both are true, to be honest. And I've got a God who will never let me go. I've got an amazing fellowship that I get to go. I get to wake up in the morning and know that, to, that at night I get to be with you guys. And I get to open up the Word. And somehow in this, I know that we're going to walk out of here better than we came in. And I get to be a part of that. Is that crazy? I mean, think about how crazy that is. This is what I get to do. What don't I have? Would I trade that in for a house and a car? Would I trade that in for fame? I already have it. My name's written in heaven. Angels know my name. They rejoiced the day I said yes. And many of them have been working really hard ever since. This is what I get. And what about you? If the Lord made me a barber, could you imagine? I'm like, now that I have you with half of your haircut, you could walk out. This is Camden. You could walk out this way. But I'm going to tell you about Jesus for the rest of this cut. Don't even go for the shave. I'll have a razor in my hand. Whatever it is, there will be moments where the Lord will show you. It's the person next to you in class that breaks down and says, hey, would you like to get tea? Let's talk. It's the boss that freaks out on you. And instead of blowing your fuse and going at him, going, you know, it looks like you're kind of under a lot of pressure right now. How can I pray for you? I'll be like, Don't you tell me how you want to pray for me, you little... And then you're like, you know, and then like they'll come back later and you know what, that was really uncalled for. Or they'll say that four times, and then the fifth time they'll actually say, can you pray for me? And you want to say, no, of course I don't. <laughs> you know how nasty you've been the last four times I brought this up? Well, there goes the ministry now, doesn't it? The world's going to say, what do you have? And you go, oh, not what, but who? I have Jesus. Well, you can't see him. You know what that reminds me? Then it's not temporary. Because what I can see is temporary. Those Jesus films, they'll all die. I don't think that God's watching any of them up in heaven. He's got the perfect one. I, I would love to see the real Jesus film. How about you? Jesus, show me what it really looked like when you raised that boy from the dead that was in the coffin being carried by those men. Daniel and I are on our way here. And as we're on our way here today, we recognize that Jenny was actually in one of the coffee shops in the area talking with Arena. And it's all glass around them, so totally innocently, because I didn't even have time to really come up with a plan to make it worse. We rounded the corner, and we just kind of looked at them, and we were like, hi. And we were literally waving, raising our hands and going like, hi. But we were rather close to them because they were sitting right by the window on the inside of the glass. Arena makes this, this action that I can only say compares to contemporary dancing. 
she had a tea in her hand, and she went, I mean, it was like, it lasted like, it was like a full-on 7-9 tremor with her as the epicenter, and it lasted for a good 10 seconds. Tea was everywhere. She looked like she had peed herself. I mean, it was like crazy. And I'm like, those are those moments I'm going I'm to go to sleep tonight, and right as I'm about to fall asleep, I'm going to start laughing, and I'm going to remember that moment. And I wonder if Jesus does that, though he doesn't go to sleep, he never sleeps or slumbers. But I wonder if every once in a while he starts thinking about, could you imagine you're carrying a coffin and a kid gets raised from that? I have a feeling there's a whole lot of that going on. By now he stinketh. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's just see what it looks like for you. Your faith stinketh. Let's get to this thing. Beloved, I would really love it tonight. For us not to hand the to-do list to God, but to say, Lord, I'm, a, I'm, I'm open. I want to give you permission to change what you need to, but I also want to give you praise for the things that, you're, that I can recognize you're doing in this. So I'm going, to pray this, I'm going to read this list one more time, and I want to remind you, the only reason we can come to Christ is because he died on the cross to pay for all of our sins, so he's already purchased us. He rose from the grave to give us a new life, and the new life is this, so that we could actually not just be saved, but we could serve. All right, here's the list, and we'll pray. That we would remain under Christ when under pressure, when constrained by resources, when we've run out of options, when we feel beat up, when we feel locked in. I've heard someone say that the only difference between a rut and a, and a grave is how deep it it's dug. When nothing really seems sure, when I've worked so hard, when I'm exhausted, worn out, when I'm hungry, or oh, that I would remain under Him. And my life would be lived this way, clean, walking with Jesus as my knowledge, keeping a long fuse being available to be useful to others, letting God lead me by His Spirit, being genuinely selfless, letting God's Word be my truth, letting God's power be my strength, by whatever I have and am to be tools for God to make men right with him at my left hand and at my right at every turn. Whether that be that I get the credit or not, whether I'm made fun of or praised, that this would be my life. And if the world wants to call me a liar, but I'm telling the truth, I'm going to be okay. If the world thinks I'm a nobody, but I'm known in heaven, I'm okay. If the world looks at me and says, that guy's falling apart, but all they see is the outward, but inside I'm thriving, I'm okay. If the world thinks somehow God's given me the short end of the stick because I'm not rich and I don't own a lot of stuff or whatever, but inside I'm only being made better and more useful, I'm okay. From the outside, the world seeing the stress or the the heaviness of the world around, but yet inside I have the peace and joy of Christ. I'm okay. So the world would look at me and say, he's just a beggar. What does he have to offer anyone? But knowing that what God does through me really affects people, I'm okay. And if the world looks and says, what does he really have If all I have is Christ, I have all I need. I'm okay. I'm better than okay. I accepted Christ in his death on the cross. I said yes to him as my Lord. And as that's the case, I am awesome. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, we've laid this before you. And we say now, Lord, lead us. Be our King, our Lord, our Savior, our life. And Lord, 
Let there be nothing to discredit the ministry you've given each of us. Bespoke to each of us. But Lord God, make us people tonight. Who no matter what the world wants to judge and whatever criteria they want to use, make us people, Lord, who internally thrive with you so that that stuff is so temporary. All of the praise of man is temporary. All of the fame is temporary. We can see it. We can hear it. We can see it. It's temporary. If it's of the outward man, it's temporary. But God, you live in us. Your word endures forever. Your mercy endures forever. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You change not. So I say tonight, thank you. Thank you for the magnificent blessing of being yours. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for paying our price. Thank you for rising from the dead. We could say yes to you. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you call us to serve. Make our lives a blessing blessing to countless others. And let our ministry be one, Lord, that is bulletproof. As we seek to love you, Lord, be our everything. Jesus, in your name. Amen.